0: Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us once again or for the first time. Uh, As most of you know, we're in the book of Romans, but we're taking a pause, a break, just to talk about how in the world are we going to, in these post-COVID interesting moments, rebuild this local church. And by the way, we're not the only local church facing this. Every single local church I've talked to across the country, huge, large, small, medium, we're all asking these questions. A lot of you know that during COVID, I was one of the millions of people that decided to move in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, we moved to this awesome little town called Port Hope, and uh, it's just this beautiful little Victorian town. And my wife and I decided to begin sort of phase three of a renovation on a beautiful, big old Victorian home. Uh, Two owners ago, they dealt with the roof. Awesome. They dealt with sort of like all the electrical stuff and started the kitchen. The people that owned owned it just before us, they did all the plaster work. And then we came in and we've been doing all the painting and all the woodwork and all the lights. And my wife is like Uber decorator and she's been making it gorgeous. And when we first saw this home, we were like, wow, it's a big project. And I was inspired, my wife not so much. And then we both got inspired. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be awesome. And then we got into it and we began. It was amazing. It was awesome. And then, well, it wasn't so amazing. and wasn't so awesome because things break and things are old and there are mice and trees fall down and all sorts of other things. And it was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Actually, I think I just want to crawl into bed and watch like 4 million episodes of something on Netflix. I think that's a really good way for us to think about this moment we're living in, not only as a local church, but the church. We've got this incredible dream. Resurrection is one of the words this year. Rebuilding, new house. And then there's the hard work of actually doing the dream. And so, what is God saying to us directly in this moment? And how are we inspired to keep going, even when it's difficult? Well, there's a guy named Haggai. And Haggai was a prophet of the Old Testament. And if you've got a Bible, and if you can find it, I'd love you to turn to the book of Haggai. But let me give you some background, because I think his work and story is going to help us extensively. His story begins long before he's on the scene. It's 586 BC. Judah, which is the southern kingdom of God's people, they decide to rebel against Babylon. Babylon invades, and this horrific thing happens. The, the Temple of Solomon, the center of the Jewish faith, the center of the Jewish community, the ethnic identity of the Jews is literally burned to the ground. And the vast majority of people are taken into captivity. Now, if you read Jeremiah and everyone else, you realize that even though they rebelled against Babylon. Actually, for generations, God's people had actually not obeyed God. God had warned them again and again, if you don't repent, I'm going to have to bring judgment. They didn't repent. And so actually they rebelled against God, and God gave them over to the Babylonians. Yet, the prophet Jeremiah was told by God that in 70 years, these people, this community, would be brought back to their homeland and begin to resurrect and rebuild. And it happened. 70 years later, there's a guy named Ezra he comes back with a group of people and they start rebuilding the temple and it is amazing. It's called the second Exodus. You can read about it in Ezra 1.5. Then the families, family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, underline that, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So the new God-given moment is taking place. Joy, new beginnings, resurrection, new hope, new worship, a literal new house. Oh, and I just want to point this out. Notice, it took God. God had to move the heart of the people to do the thing. And so we're going to stop right now and say, oh God, hear our prayer. (laughs) You've got to move a lot of people to do this new thing. If you keep reading the story in Ezra, you can read a pretty profound moment in Ezra 3.10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets and Levites, the sons of Aspha, with symbol, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. He is good. And his love endures forever. Okay, I just want to stop. I'd love your attention for a moment. That comes right out of the Psalms. And I don't know if you remember, but just uh, on the long weekend, I also spoke about how do we overcome fear in this rebuilding moment. And we were recalling the idea that intentional, God giving thanksgiving is how you overcome fear. And Joshua called his people to do this. And the psalmist, he is good as lavender forever, he calls us to do this. And Ezra does the same thing. And they're rooting all of the thankfulness, not in some big ethereal theological idea, but in actual historical events. This phrase is saying to the Jewish people, remember what God used to do? He's going to do it again. But here's the important thing hey, Sanctus, no thanksgiving, no rebuilding. Let me say it again no thanksgiving, no rebuilding. But, hmm. I love how honest the Bible is. In the middle of real excitement, real thanksgiving, and a new house being built, you're going to have disappointment and pain too. Two things can be true at once. And here, in the part of this journey, there was pain for one part of this community. It was those who actually had seen the last temple. The one that had been burned to the ground. The one built by Solomon 70 years before. And, and Israel was at its height in those days and God moved powerfully in the time of Solomon and, and then later and, and Israel had its greatest God-given influence. But now it was all gone. This is how it reads in verse 12. Many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of joy From the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. So out of the joy, and out of the weeping, the work continued, and a few years later, another leader shows up, another one of God's assigned people, Nehemiah, a second wave of Jewish exiles return, and they start rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. The promise is seen again, experienced again. More and more is taking place. It says this in Nehemiah 12.27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites again were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of, oh, Thanksgiving, and with the music of uh, cymbal, harp, and lyres. So the temple is being worked on. The wall is being rebuilt. The land is being re-inhabited. Jerusalem is literally rising from the ashes. Literal Resurrection. A new house is actually being built. So the promise was given. The promise was experienced in part. Ha. And then something happened. All the joy and all the celebration and all the hard work and all the faith and all the overcoming obstacles by faith, by hard work, and all the God-given vision and focus begins to fizzle, to dissipate. Faith dissolves. Life scatters focus. Time dispels vision. Haggai, the prophet, comes on the scene 18 years later and things aren't being done. Now, the question we need to ask is what happened? Well, (laughs) reality set in. The hard reality of rebuilding took its toll. It just wasn't fun anymore. Now, God, who's always faithful, who always acts on his promises, he steps in to the middle of this lagging rebuilding and he chooses to help his people receive all that he's promised them. And where does God start? He actually reviews their experience since they had returned to Jerusalem. So here's how it reads in Haggai chapter 1 verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetal, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So God is about to speak to the political leaders and the religious leaders of his community. Now, this is taking place. The moment that this prophecy comes takes place during a religious gathering of the Jews, somewhere between August and September, and it's the time where they would harvest grapes and figs and pomegranates. Now, you're like, why are you telling me that? It's going to matter in a minute. Just remember it's harvest time. Okay. Now, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Hold on, hold on, hold on. i I thought the temple was being rebuilt. Well, it was started to be rebuilt and the walls were partially done and then the focus changes and then people just stop. So God now decides in his sovereignty to speak to his people. He is going to be the word, his words, he, he's going to be like a loving father. His words are going to be corrective to his children, a little disciplined, but the goal here is actually that they can experience blessing. They can see his trust, his care. They actually get to experience the promise He said what happened. Now notice what he calls himself. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Lord Almighty, you might say that really quickly, but that means Lord of hosts. The one in the name of the prophets who speak, the Lord of all powers, of seen and unseen. He's the God of angel armies. So God is king and God is warrior comes. And he speaks to his people. And his words are a little striking, a little cutting, and a little hope-giving. Because he starts by saying, these people say. I mean, this is a loving rebuke in itself. I mean, these are his people. <laughs> uh, they're in relationship. They love each other. Yet the language reflects here, there's a problem. It's like in a therapy session. Not everything's okay here. There's barriers. There's attitudes. There's some non-committal thing, non-relational. So, there's, there's distance. And God's being a little sarcastic here. God is God. He's like, and they get to decide? What I want done in my economy in my time? Really? Uh, These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house, that is the temple to be built. Now, God's temple is unfinished, and the community had by their life, their actions, the use of their time, talents, their wallets, declared what they thought in their heart. God's temple is secondary. It's not primary at this moment. But, if you know anything about the scriptures, you know the temple is the heart of the promise. His worship, his relationship, the restored temple, the, the, the connection with his literal presence. This is what they had longed for for 70 years. This is absolutely core to their unique identity as people. So why in the world would a group of people that had waited for 70 years to encounter God in the temple no longer start building the temple to encounter God? Why did it all stop? Well, Read scholars and all sorts of people, and you'll find out there were lots of very, very, very honest, good reasons. And they make sense to a lot of us. Let me list some of them. The people that needed to build the temple had to make a living. And they mostly lived on farms at this moment. So it's harvest time, and we need to harvest... Because if we don't harvest, we lose all the stuff. But God, you're telling me I need to build your temple, but I'm on the farm harvesting, so how in the world do I work and serve you at the same time? Because you know, like, I got a mortgage, right? Second group of people go, "Uh, I'm not really sure if God really wants us to do this. I mean... It wasn't even a Jew that told our leaders that we got to rebuild the temple. And Cyrus, that king, told them to do it. So maybe Ezra and Nehemiah didn't really hear from God. And maybe the promise was really not from heaven at all. I'm not even really sure if God speaks like that. So I don't know if I'm into this anymore. Oh, there's a third group. Tons and tons of Jewish people didn't come back. I mean, yes, tons of people came with Ezra and Nehemiah. But many, many other Jews had lives. 70 years later, back in Babylon. They were doing okay financially to return to Jerusalem, face new projects, new dangers. This is not a great inspiration. I'm comfortable with my new normal. I don't want to go back. I don't want to rebuild. Like, I'm just fine now in this new thing. We also know if you read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, things actually were really dangerous. The political situation is not good. The neighbors are those who lived in and around Jerusalem. The local population actually was against the Jews rebuilding the walls and the temple. And so I'm sure some very well thoughtful, pragmatic leaders were like, you know what? Maybe we should wait for a more peaceful time, a less hostile time, a better time. And we can do this. And then other people were like, actually, I don't got a lot to give. See, as we're going to find out as we continue to read Haggai, there's a drought happening in this part of the world at this moment. So people are like, you want me to rebuild, except I don't have very much. I used to have more, but I don't anymore. So how do I give out of the little I have? Like, is that fair? And then other people are like, no, I got lots of stuff. And I just like it. Now, I just want to stop. Hey, Sanctus Church, does this sound familiar by any chance? Anyone, 2022? I cannot do my job and rebuild the church. I mean who's got the time? And actually, I'm not even sure if God really wants to rebuild churches anymore because they've screwed up so badly. And to be honest with you, I've found life okay without the church. So I'm not sure if I'm even into that. I'm not even sure if God actually wants to do that. Listen, I like my new post-COVID life without the pressure of serving and going to church. And you know, actually, it's pretty dangerous in culture right now. And many people don't like the church anymore. And online, it's pretty hostile. And you know, the church is screwed up a lot. And so I don't really know if I want to join that group because it's got a bad reputation. And the world's really crazy, John. I mean, have you seen Ukraine and Russia? And they're talking about a recession. So maybe we should just wait and, you know, I'll sit on the couch a little bit longer and we're going to be okay. And then others are like, actually, I, I lost so much during COVID. I, I have hardly anything left. And other people are like, I got so much. I became so epically rich. And I just like my life. I like my couch. Thanks so much. Then the word of the Lord that's God, everybody, came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Well, this house, my house, remains in a ruin. Now, God's speaking about priorities here. So you're looked after, but my house, my glory, my ways aren't. You've lost vision for life. You've lost vision for why I even saved you. Your everyday day. literally shows you the promise is not done. So life has either become your God, or comfort has become your God, or fear has become your God, or money has become your God, or loss has become your God, and I'm the Lord of hosts, and I've been replaced by the what? Every day? Now, he uses the example of paneled houses. If you have church history, you've only probably heard one expression of this. So let me tell you what scholars think, because there's three different ways this can be read. The first one is a lot of Jews were doing just fine and actually their houses were full of wealth and full of luxury the people were adorning their houses literally with beautiful wood paneling not the 1970s stuff way nicer than that in our terms they're basically all living in house and home they're all you know the love it or list it we all watch but we can't afford it. they're looking at that thing going oh i got that house okay other people say no panelled uh, houses can also be another way of saying My house has a roof. So basically, they were finishing their houses. They were working to be mortgage-free. And they just wanted a nice functioning house. Others say, actually, something even more insidious was going on. The leaders were spending community time and money to build their houses. Well, which one is it? I got no clue. No matter, the temple, the place of worship is not finished. But everyone was working on their own house, or was already finished, or beautiful, but God was sort of relegated over here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Ever had a parent say that to you? You should think about that. That's what God is doing here. You should should think about this. Stop, 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 stop for a minute. Your work, listen, just, just evaluate. Your normal rhythm of life shows your heart, your spiritual priorities are not correct. You plant much, you harvest little. You eat, you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You put on clothes, they're not warm. You're in wages, put them in a purse with a hole in it. For all your hard work and all you do day in and day out, you're not going to find satisfaction. All the stuff you do does not help, does not bring what your soul longs after. You eat, you work, you clothe yourself in question mark. And the scary thing is at this point, it would seem the people of God, did not even see the trend of non-satisfaction as wrong. They just said it's the new normal. This is what the Lord Almighty says: Give careful thought to your ways. God stops them again. It's almost like He wants them to pause, breathe, think, question. Do you see? Do you see the pattern? Are you comfortable with this? Because uh, this ain't good. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He calls them to action. As you started with Ezra and you did with Nehemiah, now, 18 years later, my family, my people, my kids, need to step up again. As one author said, by obeying, they will be turning their back on apathy and indifference, so demonstrating repentance and action. Give your time, your money, your gifts to me and my work. I I love what the... Amplified Bible says? He says, look, go up to the hill country, bring lumber and rebuild my house. Watch this. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, says the Lord, by, by accepting it as done for my glory. Here it is. And by displaying my glory in the new house. Okay, this is really important. Not only will God accept what they're doing as an act of worship. He's going to bring his actual presence. They used to know in the old house Into the new house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's everywhere. But at key times he brings his power, his presence. He becomes palpable. This is when he draws near. This is when he breaks in. This is what they had cried over for 70 years and and wept over because they lost. They longed for this. They waited. Think about this. 70 years. A full lifetime. And now they're here and they're forgetting. Unbelief. Boredom. Distraction. Idolatry. Uh, you expect much, verse 9, but you see it turns out to be little. Uh, what you, bro, uh, what you uh, brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains uh, in a ruin. Strong words. Well, each of you is busy with your own house, your own life, your own stuff, your own your own. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought. Oh, there it is on the fields, the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground produces on people and cattle and the labor of your hands. There's a direct connection between God, his temple and their historic drought reality. And why does God allow this to happen? To spare his people from the root of incredible evil. Human pride, which leads to self-sufficiency, to, which leads, of course, to the idea that we can do things without God, which led them to Babylon in the first place. So then it says, in verse twelve, then Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So. They heard, they obeyed, they feared. Now, by the way, fear isn't dread. Fear isn't terror. Fear is not like some angry sibling or abusive spouse smacking you and you're hiding in the corner. It's not like being jumped in an alley. Fear is awe. It's respect. It's love. It's worship. It's God, you're God, and I'm not. And by the way, this is exactly what Jesus' half-brother taught us in James, right? James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the word of God and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. Does God then leave alone his people to do the huge task? No. He knows they need his presence, his power. That's why he declares, promise one, I am with you. What overcomes guilt? Think about this. What overcomes fright? What overcomes fear? Whatever comes, all the good reasons and excuses not to obey, to doubt, not to act yet. God's real presence. His presence changes everything. And one point of this out, this is so important. That phrase, I am with you, originally was given when the Jews were wandering as nomads in the desert. And that promise, I am with you, entails God's protection, his accompanying combative guiding presence. Here's the summary. I got your back. I got your back. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetal, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of all the people. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Lord Almighty, their God, and on the 24th day and the 6th month in the 2nd year of King Darius. So to accomplish the task, God not only rebukes them, then calls them and promises his presence, he actually, watch this, Gives them, there gives them his spirit. He literally endows his spirit on the two leaders and also the whole group of people. God sovereignly acts and stirs up the core of real individuals like us. And of course, this all that makes sense. If you have church history, you might know this. There's a there's a verse people love quoting. This is a big Instagram one. Lots of bumper stickers got this one. People love this. It's from Zechariah four six right. Right? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, what you probably don't know is Zechariah is preaching at the same time as Haggai. They're contemporaries. And that promise is to who? Oh, Zerubbabel. And this is about rebuilding this house. So the historic context for this verse is, you're going to rebuild this new temple, this new thing, this resurrection thing, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the God of angel armies. Okay, so God moved and all the people were involved and God's work began again. Task, praying, planning, building, supporting. Everyone obeyed, all supported and involved. There was a communal relationship, communal responsibility. Planners, priests, people, promise, accomplished. Okay, Sanctus, in this very interesting rebuilding moment that three and a half years ago, none of us expected to be at, but here we are. What is God saying to us? One, it's time for us to admit or say it again that we cannot tell the difference sometimes between joy and the crying. I think so many of us in this church and probably every church thought, okay, the pandemic's going to be really bad. And we're going to get through the pandemic and it's going to last, you know, five days or six months or whatever it was. And then we're just going to go back to normal and everything's just going to start back up and we're going to, let's go. And then it happened and it kept happening It happened longer, and guess what? It's not the same. There are so many of us that are still here, and lots of us are grieving or weeping (coughs) over what C4 Sanctus used to be. Other people are like, what are you talking about? This is incredible. Like, people are getting baptized here, and I'm learning stuff, and I'm growing. See, we just need to admit, in this moment, there's joy in weeping, and that's okay. It just is. Here's the second thing. It is time to make God's house and His ways a priority again. Your regular presence to God and others in community matters. Your regular presence in church, taking communion, witnessing baptism, serving, it matters. Your regular presence helps pass on the faith to the next generation. Your regular serving matters. Your regular giving matters. All of this matters. Like I shared a few weeks ago, the basics of our faith didn't change because of a global pandemic. It's pretty clear in the book of Hebrews. Do not forsake gathering with other Christians. Communion didn't change. Baptisms didn't change. The call to use spiritual gifts didn't change. The gospel didn't change. The eternal implications of heaven and hell, they didn't change. None of that changed. None of that changed. We might have changed, but it didn't change. So I'm just saying, hey, Sanctus, even if you're sitting today at a site and you're regular. Consider your ways. God is asking us to rebuild this house. For how long we're here, I don't know, but He's asking us. And now is the time to do this thing. Okay, that phrase, uh, give careful thought to your ways. Next week, I'm going to talk about joy, and I talk about joy in serving and what God is asking us into. But I just want to stop, and I want to unapologetically, at this moment, talk about giving. Now, some of you are like, Uh, I'm a guest here, and it's all good. If you're visiting, thanks for hanging out with us. Keep hanging out with us. This is a family chat. Awesome. For the rest of us who are committed to Sanctus Church, called, this is our house, our home. This is our new house. Uh, We just need to talk about this. To rebuild in this moment, we actually have to give with our time and our money. So what I'm going to do is this. I did this years ago. I'm going to do it again. I'm just going to throw up right now. A chart's going to come up. And as it's coming up, no matter if you're watching online or another site, you're going to see <coughs> basically what giving looks like at Sanctus right now. So you can see how many givers there are. You can see how many people give on one side, like how much so I think there's one stat there, like a certain amount of people give like five to 45 dollars a year, basically, or 50. you just follow, follow it up? I want, take a look at it. Don't, ah, look at it, look at it. And I want you to hear this as I'm speaking. of people that make up Sanctus Church make up 65% of the giving. So I just want you to catch 20% of people who give are giving 65% of the finances right now. Just let that sit. 11% of people who give are giving basically 47% of the finances at Sanctus. Everyone catching this yet? The average household (coughs) income in Durham is about $103,000. So if we use that as just a basic baseline, about 40% of people are giving around maybe 1% of their income. Some are giving more, many are giving less. Actually, there are hundreds of people who come to Sanctus who don't give anything. So here's a question in this rebuilding moment as God is asking us to think about giving and priorities. Can you find yourself on the chart, first of all? Could you just do that? Number two, these are very important questions. Are you even giving to the Lord your time and your money anymore? Or have you ever? Remember, we don't give to Sanctus Church or to something else that's Christian. We first and foremost give to God. I mean, that's what we do. Christian giving is worship to God. Out of the gratitude of his salvation, out of gratitude of the exodus that God has done through Jesus, we give joyfully to the things of God. So are you even giving to the Lord? Question one. Question two. As we are rebuilding this local house, are you even supporting it? And are you supporting it well, biblically, thoughtfully, and intentionally? Here's a simple question. What do you think would happen if every person just increased their giving by 1% across our whole church? It would make a massive difference in this rebuilding moment. What would it look like if we actually tithed? I mean, that's 10%. I mean, that I can't even imagine that. What I want you to do this week is I would like any person within the sound of my voice that is committed and called to Sanctus Church to genuinely, in this post-COVID moment, just say to the Lord, How am I doing? Now, what we're going to do, uh, again, unashamedly, we're going to send an email basically out soon to everyone in our church, and we're just going to give you an update of how you are giving in the sense of what you've given so far. But I'm asking the whole church in this rebuilding moment to actually go before the Lord and let the Lord say to you, you need to consider your ways. Consider your ways. Because we have to rebuild this church We have to rebuild what God has asked us to do and we need to continue to reach out to make fully devoted followers, to reach other people for Jesus and continue to move forward. Take the week, go to your connect group and have an honest chat about where you are on this chart, how you're doing, where your heart is at. Okay, I'm not going to end with money though. I'm going to end with God. (laughs) See that phrase, I am with you? Yes, 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 you say, of course God is with us. I mean, that's what you preacher leaders are supposed to say, and that's what the Bible says, and God is with every Christian, and God is with every church that's trying to follow him and love him, and he promised he'd never leave us and forsake us, so agreed, and thank God, and amen. Eh, that's not what I'm preaching today. See, God in Haggai's time was not assuring them of omnipresence, although that's true. God in that time was saying to the Jewish nation, I am with you in this season, for this task, in this moment, to do the very specific thing I'm asking you to do so you can see the promise I've given. And I'm saying to you, St. Church, the same today. God is saying to us as a local church, I'm with you. I'm always with you. I'm never leaving you or forsaking you. But I'm actually also with you specifically as we rebuild this new house and as this resurrection takes place. And how does this happen? Well, the only way you cut through the noise, the chatter, the pain, the sadness, the good, the bad, all of it, the fear, the apathy, is the Holy Spirit. That's why God, through the other prophet, Zachariah, said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We need the Holy Spirit to begin to fill this new house, even though it's not totally rebuilt. We need the Holy Spirit to stir up the leaders, stir up new leaders. We need the Holy Spirit to stir up the community and begin to rebuild. So I'm going to ask you again, and if you could do this, I'd love you to stand wherever you might be, even if you're in in your living room or you're attending another church. (coughs) And I'm just going to pray this prayer written a long time ago. And I'd love you to join me in it. Lord, come. And give us your spirit so we can be encouraged to do your work now. Why do we want the power of God? Why do we want the Holy Spirit? Because we want to glorify God with our lives. Why do we want the glory of God? Because when He comes, droughts end. God be with us. God guard this church. God guide this church. God, accompany this church. God, fight for this church. God, lead this church. God, make this church unwavering. God, make us personally know your presence again. God, send your spirit to do this work again. So Lord, I'm just asking you to send the Holy Spirit and the elders and the pastors and the key volunteers and all the people to begin or to continue, I should say, this rebuilding moment. Help us to consider our ways when it comes to money and time and serving. Help us not to be defensive or jaded, but to be open. And we just pray that there would be this supernatural rebuilding that makes no sense other than you. We're thankful for this new house. Many of us are deeply saddened about the loss of the old house. But we're open to what you want to do and who you want to use in this moment. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. And we all said together, Amen. We'll see you next week when we talk about the role of joy, serving, rebuilding, and serving in joy. We'll see you then.